It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey guys, Gronk here, calling a 30-second hair huddle. When it comes to tackling hair loss, Hims has you covered. From clinically proven regrowth treatments to thickening shampoo and conditioner. Just go to 4 for a free consultation. Then a licensed medical provider can help you with your game plan. If prescribed, Hims ships directly to your door. Get your hair back in the game with Hims. Try today and get a 90-day money-back guarantee at 4 Just go to 4 slash NFL. That's 4 slash NFL. Restrictions apply. See website for full details and important safety information. You are Locked On Packers, your daily Green Bay Packers podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. We said four quarters, all gas, no break. You guys did that today. Hell of a job. R-E-L-A-X. Relax. We're going to be okay. It is time. It is time. I feel like we can run the table. We're going to do it. You are Locked On Packers, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I am Peter Bukowski, and I cover the Packers for SB Nation and Packer Report. I cover the NFL around the internet, and you can follow me on Twitter at Peter underscore Bukowski. You can follow the podcast on Twitter at Locked On Packers. You can like us on Facebook. You can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, on Spotify, on Google Podcasts, wherever you find podcasts, you will find Locked on Packers, the number one Packers podcast on the internet, and the show for fans who know what happened. They want to know why and how. It is, of course, Mock Draft Monday, and we are going to have some fun with Mock Draft Monday a little bit later on in the show. But I want to talk about framing the draft. And I particularly want to focus today on receivers. Uh, We understand the Packers' interest in pass catchers. And it was reported that they wanted to get one in free agency. They wanted to get one in the draft. Okay, they couldn't get Austin Hooper. They go out and they get Devin Funchess, a player who, by the way, I I think could give you everything that Austin Hooper gave you as a move tight end and potentially more. And and we haven't really discussed that much, but it's something that, that maybe we can talk about at some point. But when you go through and look at the Packers draft strategy, or at least their roadmap here, and, and we've talked about this before with the receivers. We've looked at potential options for them, and, and I've made the case that you know I think they should go for one early, or at least that would be the prudent play. But there are a lot of different ways that you can look at this. From the Packers' perspective, there are a lot of questions about type. First of all, does it matter? Does it matter if the Packers receiver that they draft high is Michael Pittman versus Jalen Rager, assuming we think their talent is something close to the same. Or, you know, if you think Jalen Rager is a first and they get Michael Pittman in the second, for example. Does that kind of thing matter? The type of receiver that you're going to get. And I, I think it matters in this particular way. It matters for the rest of your draft strategy. So, Let's say the Packers are going to mirror what they did in 2014, the last time we had a receiver draft this good. They got a receiver in the second round. Then they drafted Jared Aberderis in the middle of the draft. It doesn't matter four, three, five. It doesn't really matter. In the middle. And 
then they drafted Jeff Janis in the seventh round. So if we used this formula, early, middle, late, that's the important part. If we use that formula, how does that potential roadmap affect how they view these players? So I think we have to start here. One of the reasons why a lot of Packer fans have been anti-Michael Pittman, for example, is they look at him and they say, do the Packers really need another big receiver? Even if he's fast, and he is fast, 4-5-1 is legit NFL speed, he looks a lot like Al Lazard, who is deceptively fast, by the way. And you look and you say, okay, Devin Funches, Alan Lazard, Michael Pittman, all of a sudden, this is looking like a basketball team. Well, that's less of a problem if in the third or the fourth round, maybe the fifth round, you get Antonio Gibson from Memphis. You get Devin DuVernay. And then at the end of the draft, you get uh, Joe Reed. You get a Tyree Cleveland. You get one of these speed guys who, you know, maybe they can be something, maybe they can't. You get a dude early, and that's the goal here. You know, uh, irrespective of the rest of what the draft looks like, the goal is to get a dude early. You want a legitimate future primetime player, whether it's a number one, I don't think is is really necessary, but you're talking about a frontline contributor to your offense. So it doesn't have to be Jordy Nelson, but... James Jones is what you're looking for in terms of a floor. You want someone who can come in and give you 50, 60 catches in two, three years. That's the goal. And then in the middle rounds, you have you know your gadget players. You've got your guys who, who have niche roles. And then at the end of the draft, you've got your upside players. So a number of different ways you can look at this. You can go big Physical, strong, fast, Michael Pittman early. By the way, don't think first round is too early. And then in the middle rounds, you get that gadget player. And then at the end, you get, let's say, a speed guy, Joe Reed. Can you get, you know, Hightower from Boise State uh, in the in the sixth round, for example? That draft strategy makes some sense. But then you could do this another way. Let's say early on, the Packers are going to you know, you have Matt LaFleur, and he's pounding the table for Jalen Rager. Smaller guy, deep speed. All right. Now, do you is he your run-after-catch guy? How does that affect the way that you look at these other players? Is Rager too similar to the Gibsons and DuVernays of this draft class? And how does that affect how you view the back end of the draft? And how does that affect your strategy early on? If it is the case that you think you can get one of these speed demons or one of these run-after-catch-gadget type players, does that sway you against taking LaVisca Chenault or Jalen Rager early? That's a decision that the Packers are going to have to make. How the rest of the draft looks matters. Now, how much does it inform who they take early? I don't know that it, it, it would be wise to let it affect it in full. I mean, you don't want to say, okay, that the move is pass on this guy now because someone 60%, 70% is good who plays similarly is available later in the draft. No, 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 no. 
That's not how this works. And that's not how it would be smart to work. The Packers have to get the best players that they can get when they can get them. If it were me, and I'm looking at this, I'm trying to find the guys who can do the most things. So I look at Michael Pittman Jr. and I see a player who I don't care about Devin Funches or Alan Lazard. If I'm taking Michael Pittman in the first two rounds, I'm saying I think this guy is more talented than them and those players can get in where they fit in. I don't worry about it. I'm going to say, Matt LaFleur, you're going to figure it out. I trust you to do the thing. It's your job, so do the thing. Figure out how these players fit together. And then in the middle rounds, I can get that gadget piece. And then in the in day three, look, the easiest thing to get in the NFL draft is speed. You can find speed on day three. The Packers have done it pretty consistently. Not that they've been able to find good players necessarily, but look, Marquez Valdez-Scantling, EQ, Jeff Janis, go back further, Charles Johnson. They've been able to find guys who can run on day three. You can always find some speed. Don't worry about the speed. Figure out guys who are good at football early. Now, I I think that there are other accommodations that you have to make. And who are the players who can do the most things for you? You don't want to take a niche player, a role player, in the first or the second round. So if you're a guy who can only do one particular thing, if you are you know, what Will Fuller was a few years ago, and it was like, okay, you can get deep, you can take a slant, and, and you can turn that into six points. But beyond that, there's not really a lot that, that anyone should trust you to do. Okay, that's not the player you want. But when you look at someone like Brandon Ayuk, the forgotten receiver in this draft, he can take a slant 80 yards for six. You can throw him a deep post and he can score. You can throw him a smoke screen and he can pick up 8, 10, 12, 14 yards. He can do a little bit of everything. Jalen Rager is another player like that who can do a little bit of everything for you. Maybe, maybe Denzel Mims can be that guy. I'm not convinced, but maybe. Michael Pittman is not that guy. He's not that run-after-the-catch guy, but he is a size-speed downfield threat, and he is more talented than any of the size-speed guys that Green Bay currently has on the roster. You want to say, oh, is he better than EQ? Look, I was as high on Equinemius St. Brown coming out of the draft as anyone. I was. I thought he was a top-100 player. He ends up going late day three, all right? Michael Pittman is better. Michael Pittman is one of the 30 best players, not receivers, players in this draft. Because of what he can do down the field, because of his ability to be consistent catching the ball, all of those things make him so important and so vital to what your offense can be in in all of these different ways that you want to take the most talented player and he very well might be that player. Now, I think he and Brandon Ayuk, along with Jalen Rager, if Justin Jefferson doesn't fall, we haven't mentioned Jefferson, you know, he's a slot receiver. Can he play on the outside? Yeah, probably, but he's really going to do his damage from the slot. All right. He still allows you to do, okay, you got gadget in the middle rounds, you've got, you know, deep receiver at the end, or you go speed in the middle rounds and you can find that gadget player on day three. All of this works in, in tandem. It works together because, you know, go back to the Brian Gutekind's draft where he took three receivers. You say, okay, all all those guys are, are big. They all can move. They're athletic. They can run. And that's all true. 
but they each win in very different ways. Jamon Moore was a route runner. He was quick rather than fast. He was someone who could get in and out of his breaks, and you expected him to be able to win with route running. It was the hands part that he could never quite overcome. Had issues fighting the ball. All right, MVS is that true deep threat. Take the top off the defense, get down the field. EQ has that ability, but it wasn't what he did best. He was big, fast, tough, middle of the field guy, sidelines, plays down the field because he can take the top off the defense, do a little bit of everything for you, but I think in particular work the middle of the field And I still think there is a role for EQ in this offense, particularly the Matt LaFleur version, where you're going to go play action. You want to hit those deep in routes. You want to hit those deep post routes, those deep over routes. Equinemia St. Brown can do a lot of that for you. But Gutekunst prioritized having different kinds of players. I think in a draft like this, that is the kind of thing he's going to look to. Get a certain type early, hopefully a guy who can do a lot of different kinds of things. And then as you move down the board, because this is how this works, you basically lop off skills as the players go down. Because if if you're a middle-tier player, if you're a third, fourth, fifth-round type player, you just don't have as many talents. You don't have as many skills. You don't have the traits that a first- and second-round player has. You have to get a role player, a niche player, someone who can fill a specific role and, and hopefully do it well. But that is what you're looking for. You're looking for a diversity of skill set coming out of this draft. David Harrison here, the Locked on Washington football team podcast, celebrating with you a 21 grain salute to a less boring sandwich. Thanks to Dave's killer bread. I don't know about you guys, but when I eat pizza, I eat it for the toppings, not the crust. And when I eat a sandwich, it's for what's inside the bread, not for the bread. But when I throw a sandwich on 21 whole grains and seeds, thin sliced bread from Dave's Killer Bread, it is the epitome of addition by subtraction. That thin sliced bread lets me focus on what's inside the sandwich, but also adds to the sandwich with killer taste, killer texture, killer nutrition, a subtle sweetness, and a seed coated crust. Dave's Killer Bread is America's number one organic bread for a reason it tastes so stinking good dave's killer bread is made with the highest quality organic and non-gmo ingredients and is power packed with whole grains fiber and protein visit daveskillerbread.com to learn more and look for dave's killer bread in the bread aisle of your local grocery store and that brings us to an important part of the conversation not every packer fan not every listener of this podcast frankly (laughs) is thrilled with my suggestion that the Packers could take Michael Pittman Jr. in the first round. Not every Packers fan is thrilled with him in the second round. And what I often hear from fans is, oh, well, I can get him later. I can get that guy later. And here's the thing about that. I don't care. I don't care what the Draft Network mock says I don't care what ESPN's mock says. I don't care what Daniel Jeremiah says. And look, I, in truth, I care about what they say insofar as I think a lot of the people that, that write for those websites and, and scout and do the analysis are smart. And I care what they say because they're smart and it's worth listening to. It, it's not going to make me feel substantially differently about the player evaluations that I've done. Now, I'm always trying to get better when it comes to this stuff, but I can only tell you what I see. 
I can only give you the analysis that I have. And while I always want to get better, and that's why I continue to read Daniel Jeremiah, and I read you know, Jordan Reed and Jonah Tulls and some of the guys who I've brought on this show to talk about the draft because I think they're smart and I want to be better about it. I don't care if a mock draft has a player at 62. If I think he is worth a 30th pick, I'm going to take him there. And that's how teams approach the draft. It is the case, by the way, that teams do look at mocks. They do their own mocks. They try and assess the the strengths and weaknesses of a draft. They try and assess where players are likely to go. And if they really like a player, let's say you're picking someone at 30 and you think someone is a borderline player at 30, but you think he is certainly going to be gone in, let's say, five, six, seven picks. This is what happened with the Packers and Darnell Savage. I, I am not clear exactly on how they felt about Savage, where they thought he belonged in the draft, but they believed he would be gone if they waited until 30 to get him, so they moved up to get him. So even if you don't think he was the 21st best player in the draft, and and by the way, I didn't. Now, I thought he was pretty close. Uh, I thought he was a really good player and a perfect fit next to Adrian Amos. But in a vacuum, I didn't think that he was worth trading up for out of that spot. He was for the Packers for all the reasons that we've gone over. And, And that is something that we have to take into account here. So a player's value is not created in a vacuum. A player's value is relative to his situation relative to his projected role, relative to his supporting cast. The same way we talk about most impactful player and having to incorporate the roster and what you're what you're going to use him for. You have to incorporate that in the player evaluation when you are looking at the pick itself. So if the Packers took a receiver in the first round who according to the draft network mocks was a second round pick. This was the case with Kevin King by the way. I didn't love Kevin King as a player, but I saw the athleticism and thought, okay, well, in that defense and on that particular team, given the the constructs of the roster, it made more sense than it would have in a vacuum. That's how I felt about it. Now, whether or not that is ultimately going to be true is obviously a different thing. But for the Packers... It doesn't matter if in mock drafts you're seeing a player in the second round or even the third round. If if he goes in the first, a team valued him there. So we can have a whole discussion about whether or not a player is worth that value. So, right, this is something we talked about with Rashawn Gary. I didn't have Rashawn Gary as a first-round player, and I said that. And the Packers picked him, and I came on this show, and I said, it is not the pick I would have made. There were other players on the board I thought were better, and frankly, there were a lot of them. And the Packers picked Rashawn Gary not because they panicked, not because they thought that he was the 40th best player in the draft. No, no, no. Mike Smith thought he was the best defensive end in the draft. They thought he was an elite edge player, that he could become one of the best pass rushers in football. Based on the athletic traits and the position that he plays, I later made the case that it made sense given that 
circumstance, if you think he can be great and you're the Packers and he plays a premium position, you can justify taking that player. And and do fans like it? No. Did I like it? No. And do I think there were other players they could have taken in that position that would have made them better in, in more impactful ways? Yeah, I do. And I still believe that. I still think Andre Dillard was the smart choice at 12. I still think, frankly, DK Metcalf was the choice at 12. That's who I would have taken. And I knew the Packers would not have. But it's who I would have taken. And I would have certainly been interested. It would have been, for me, between Metcalf and Dillard. Those would have been the two guys. And and look where we are in this draft in 2020. Receiver, offensive tackle. But this idea that, oh, well, he's projected to go in this place, so the Packers can't take him here. No, that's nonsense. It's nonsense. Because a player could fall or a player could outperform the expectation. Now, that doesn't mean that you should take players who aren't as good. No doubt. But if any team takes a player at a a specific draft location, it is, generally speaking, because they believe that player is worth the selection or they like the player so much that they don't believe he will be available when they pick next and therefore they must take him in that spot, which is another way of saying that he is worth that selection. This idea of reaching based on mock drafts has to stop. It's silly. It's silly. If you think a player is worth the draft selection where you are, you take him. So it doesn't matter what the the draft network mock drafts say about where Michael Pittman and Brandon Ayuk are going. Just because you can get him at 62 doesn't mean you pass at 30. I think either one of those guys is worthy of the 30th pick. Are there other players I think who could be there that could interest the Packers who are worth that pick? Yes. Do I think those players are better than... Pittman or Ayuk as prospects? Maybe. There are some players who I think could be there that would be better. Are they more impactful for the Packers? For the Packers? I mean, this is this is critical. Are they more impactful for the Packers in this situation, in this draft? That's something we have to try and adjudicate. And I think it's something that often gets lost when we start to look at these mock drafts because you see a player's name and he's constantly showing up at 62 or in the 50s and the 60s and, you, and, and he goes in the first and you go, well, why? Well, there is a host of reasons why. And that's why I actually study these players. It's why I watch them. It's why I evaluate them on my own because I don't want to trust what ESPN says. I don't want to trust what NFL.com says or CBS or the Draft Network. And it's why, by the way, I bring on a diverse group of voices to talk to you because I think all of them are useful in some way or another to give you an idea of of these prospects, but none of them are the final word on these things. So this is not a pre-defense of a reach, but it rather it is a way of saying just because a player is being projected in these mock drafts doesn't mean he is not worth the selection earlier than that or later than that, by the way, it can, it can work, work both ways. There are plenty of players who I think are going to go, you know, top 10, top 15, who I would not take top 10, top 15. It's why I do the work. And I just want you to remember that when you're trying to evaluate, oh, is this a good pick? Is it a bad pick? Hey, listen up, FanDuel Fantasy players. Your day is about to get 20% better. 
This is Vinny Iyer, host of Lockdown Fantasy Football here on the Lockdown Network, and I have an offer for you. Start playing fantasy this football season, and FanDuel will give you a 20% bonus on your first deposit. That's up to $500. That's a big-time bonus, and all you need to do to claim it is to make your first deposit on FanDuel. I love the fantasy contests they have on FanDuel. So many different ways to play, cash games, tournaments. I like to challenge myself there Take my fantasy football knowledge to the next level. Many different types of game formats you can pick from. Main slate, single game, best ball, snake draft. And you can even play private contests with your friends. And there's an awesome slate of games on hand every single week. You can get the players that you don't have in your redraft leagues into your lineup. Try to get that big time return on investment. Every week is a new chance for you to win big at FanDuel and that's what I love about it. Experience season long wins without the season long waits. Sign up today at FanDuel.com slash LockedOn to claim your bonus and start playing today. That's FanDuel.com slash LockedOn. Agent location restrictions apply. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable site credit that expires after 30 days. This episode is brought to you by Wise. Progress is great, isn't it? People listen to music on record players, then tapes and CDs, and now you can stream music and podcasts. When technology moves forward, you move with it. Like with Wise, the modern way to move money internationally. It's smarter and simpler. They use new technologies, so when you send, spend, or convert money with Wise, you get a better exchange rate with lower fees. And over 30% of transfers arrive in less time than it takes to listen to this right now. Join over 10 million people and businesses and try WISE for free at wise.com slash podcast. Now I do have a mock draft of my own for Mock Draft Monday. And what I tried to do was project where I felt like the Packers were going to look positionally and put put together some players who I think Green Bay could be interested in. So at 30, I have Brandon Ayuk. The more I look at this, the more I think he is the kind of player that Matt LaFleur is going to want. He is big enough. He is fast enough. He is fleet of foot enough after the catch. He can make plays all over the field for the Packers. He can make Things work underneath, in the middle of the field, down the field, everywhere. I really like his game, and I, I think Matt LaFleur will too. So, receiver at 30. And then at 62, I have Prince Tegoinago from Auburn. Receiver offensive tackle, first, second, in some order, I think is the way we're going to see this draft play out. And so he was the best tackle on the board that I thought the Packers would draft there. And then at 94... This is a little bit out of left field for a lot of the mocks that are out there, but I have Michael Ojemudia from Iowa. Now, I know there are going to be fans who say, oh, Josh Jackson, et cetera, et cetera, and I understand that. Ojemudia comes from that same school, a lot of the same experiences in terms of zone coverage, but much better athletically. Fits all of the athletic traits that you look for. And I think he is better suited than Jackson was to play man faster, more nimble, moving laterally. I think he has the traits to play a little bit of zone and a little bit of man, which is exactly what Mike Pettin would theoretically ask him to do. And then in the fourth round, I had my choice between Tyler Johnson and Devin DuVernay. Now, I think Tyler Johnson is someone who you could easily take in the third round on day two. And so he was my pick there. Not a different type necessarily based on our earlier conversation, you know, not not drastically different in terms of, you know, oh, he does some wildly different thing. No, he's just solid. He's just solid. He can run routes. 
He can win at the catch point. He can make acrobatic finishes. He's solid. And you need someone who is solid. I mean, there is always a place on your team for a receiver. And Tyler Johnson is James Jones to me. He's James Jones 2.0. He's tough. He's not going to wow you, but all of a sudden he's running by you. Okay, then Keyshawn Vaughn, the running back from Vanderbilt, someone they met with at Indy, someone who athletically does what they need him to do and can be that one-cut downhill runner, the third running back that they're looking for. All right, then Dalton Keene from Virginia Tech. If you want a developmental tight end, someone who can block and then develop into a pass catcher, I think Keene is the guy you're looking at. And to get him, you know, you're you're talking about late in in – the draft you're talking about you know sixth round type value uh, i love it and then you know the end of the draft is very similar to a lot of the drafts that i've done joe reed from virginia whose name i've mentioned a lot on the show john runyon whose name i've mentioned on the show after that it doesn't much matter i mean i have carter coughlin from minnesota and cole mcdonald from hawaii i think they'd want to add some some depth at edge at some point and they want to add another quarterback at some point I tried to address the positions I think they are going to address. That was the goal of all of this. And so I, I think I did that. Now, whether or not those are the players that they pick, obviously, I'm just you know taking shots in the dark on this one. But it was a, a fun exercise to do. All right, we've got a couple interviews coming for you later in the week. Danny Kelly from The Ringer is going to be here. And another surprise guest who I don't want to spoil it. But uh, because we haven't recorded it yet, we haven't solidified it yet, but we are working on what would be a pretty fun interview if we're able to put the pieces together. So hopefully we are able to do that. We'll be back later in the week. Remember, you can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, on Spotify, on Google Podcasts, wherever you find podcasts, you will find Locked on Packers. You can follow me on Twitter at Peter underscore Bukowski. Follow the podcast on Twitter at Locked on Packers. You can like us on Facebook. You can subscribe to the podcast, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, wherever you find podcasts. You will find Locked On Packers. And anytime you want to hit us up on the Locked On Packers fan hotline, you can do it. 920-341-3775 to stay Locked On Packers.